Well, good morning, Greenwich, and welcome to the Wednesday, November 8th edition of the Basement Academy. Our morning psalm's a little long, so I want to get right into it, and it's a psalm that most of us don't lean into. We probably most mostly lean away from this one, but it needs to be in our praying repertoire. So this is Psalm 38. It says it's a Psalm of David, a petition. O Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have pierced me and your hand has come down upon me. Because of your wrath, there is no health in my body. My bones have no soundness because of my sin. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and are loathsome because of my sinful folly. I'm bowed down and brought very low. All day long I go about mourning. My back is filled with searing pain. There is no health in my body. I am feeble and utterly crushed. I groan in anguish of heart. All my longings lie open before you, O Lord. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pounds, my strength fails me. Even the light has gone from my eyes. My friends and companions avoid me because of my wounds. My neighbors stay far away. Those who seek my life set their traps. Those who would harm me talk of my ruin. All day long they plot deception. I am like a deaf man who cannot hear, like a mute who cannot open his mouth. I've become like a man who does not hear, whose mouth can offer no reply. I wait for you, O Lord. You will answer, O Lord my God. For I said, do not let them gloat or exalt themselves over me when my foot slips. For I am about to fall, and my pain is ever with me. I confess my iniquity. I am troubled by my sin. Many are those who are my vigorous enemies. Those who hate me without reason are numerous. Those who repay my good with evil slander me when I pursue what is good. O Lord, do not forsake me. Be not far from me, O my God. Come quickly to help me. O Lord, my Savior. Psalm 38. Do we ever confess sin like that? And do we ever acknowledge that the kind of psychosomatic, spiritual somatic, the connection between body and spirit? David seems to understand that his back and his physical malaise is somehow tied to a spiritual reality. James says, you know, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. And he talks about prayer in the context of sickness. So it's something to consider. So Psalm 38. Okay, we're moving on now. Chapters two and three. I am not going to read chapters two and three to you. I'm just going to let you do that work. We're going to refer to them. Um, I think we'll do this today, Thursday, and Friday, because we're covering two chapters. So please take um, time today, tomorrow, Friday, to read chapters two and three. I'll dive in in a couple places uh, for some particularity, but I'm going to trust you to, to read. And please, please, please read chapter four 
of Peterson's book, Reverse Thunder. Uh, such a wise and thoughtful reflection. I'll kind of tease out some thoughts uh, over the next couple of days that are, I think, parallel to, to Eugene. <clears throat> okay, now we are on to the last word on the church. John has been directed by the voice that, that trumpets out to him that we now understand is the voice of the majestic Christ, the prophet, priest, and king. He is to write a letter to seven churches. And so we have seven particular letters to seven particular churches. There's a common pattern that, that we're going to go through. And we'll see each of the letters follows this same pattern or, or, or structure. But there are letters to the particular churches there in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Um, archaeologists have, have, have dug around and we found these places and they were on a, a common postal route. And John was pastor, we understand, was pastor to these churches. I guess I maybe apologize. I'm not one of those pastors that writes a monthly newsletter article. I did for a while at Greenwich and I just found it a little burdensome. Um, I think Eugene Peterson did regularly write letters to his church. Um, maybe I'll start a new practice. Uh, pray for me in that regard. Um, I like writing. I labor over the written word. Uh, I find the spoken word uh, a little more um, comes with, with greater ease. <clears throat> John writes, again, listening. So he's, he's kind of dictating at some level, but, but he's writing a letter to seven churches. Uh, as I shared Mm, was it yesterday, day before? The, maybe it was last week. The, the number seven, seven churches, there's particular er, particularity to each church. So Greenwich is a church with a unique history, geography, um, you know, address. <laughs> you can find us on the map, you know, you GPS us. There's a uniqueness to Greenwich, so every church is mapped. It's geographically located. It's shaped by local dynamics. We're on the bend of a country road that is now seeing, you know, the city, the suburbs move out. But when Greenwich was formed, in its earliest days back in the early 1800s, before it was a full-fledged church, this was just out in the fields, right? Out in the country. And yet Greenwich persists. So seven letters to seven particular churches, but a letter to the whole church. The seven implies a wholeness or completion. These are letters to the whole church of Jesus Christ. And we do well to read them. Um, preached the seven letters back in the summer of 2010. Um, I'm sorry, 2016, uh, uh, 2016, so seven years ago. Um, and I found it uh, uh, a challenging and, and invigorating experience. So perhaps you could go back and find in the sermon archives. 
and so each of the letters follows a common pattern. Let me let me read the first. This is to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands, making reference to what we just read in chapter one. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so that's the first of the seven letters. And so there's an address in each of these to the angel, the church of Ephesus or Smyrna or Pergamum and, and, and so on. And then there's an identity, some aspect of Christ. Most of them refer back to what has just been revealed in chapter 1, when John turns to see the robe, the sash, holding the stars in the right hand, the sword out of his mouth, etc. And so there's an identification for each church. There's some part of the Christ identity that is identified somehow with that church. Interesting. And then there's an affirmation. I know this about you. I know your, uh, how does it say? I know your deeds, your hard work and perseverance. I know you cannot tolerate wicked men. To the church at Smyrna, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So, there's this word of affirmation. I know who you are. My blazing eyes, he has the blazing eyes. He sees everything. He sees, he observes, he sees into us. Peterson writes in, in that, his chapter. He sees it. He knows fully what's going on in each church. And so there's an affirmation. I know you. Then there's a word of correction because no church is perfect, right? You know, we laugh about that. The, the, the old joke is, if you find a perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up. Now, ha, 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 because we are imperfect. No church is perfect. No church is whole. No church is complete. No church has mastered Christ's likeness. There's always something in each particular church. And so Greenwich, I, I wonder what the Lord would say. What does he have against us? What would he say in affirmation of, of Greenwich? Maybe I'll tease some of these thoughts out. I, I, get, I don't know, but maybe I'll pastorally offer some thoughts the next couple of days. And so, I have this against you. For the Ephesians, you've lost your first love. 
Remember the zeal you come to faith in Christ might have been for you as a young person. For me, it was in college. And I couldn't get enough. I couldn't go to church enough. I couldn't get enough Bible. I couldn't get enough singing. I, I played guitar and was invited to help lead our college fellowship group in, in singing. Couldn't get enough. Just, you know, changed a group of friends, changed a lot of my personal habits and what I did with my discretionary time. I'll say it that way. <laughs> and, but over time, you know, kind of similar to romantic love, you know, there's that infatuation. You can't stop thinking about that person. And then over time and in, in marriage, some of the intensity of that cools. And then there's the steadiness of, of, of marriage and a faithful marriage. And so in our faith, sometimes we lose our, lose our, our passion for the Lord, our, our zeal for Christ, our commitment to reading scripture and witnessing and worshiping and journaling, whatever some of the practices that you've engaged in in the past. So a word of correction, and we need to embrace that and acknowledge that. And then a promise to the one who overcomes and so how is it here? To, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Wow. And so now connecting back, we haven't heard anything about that. Connecting all the way back. Here's an illusion of the Old Testament going all the way back to the garden. Genesis chapter two, God puts a tree of life in the middle of the garden. And remember after Adam and Eve sinned, they were, they were kicked out of the garden and, and an angel was guarding the way back lest they take hold of the tree of life and live forever in that, in that fallen rebellious state. To him who overcomes, the Ephesian church, the promise, to him who overcomes, I give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in the paradise or garden of God. And so access is granted again, right? And we can lay hold of that. So wonderful. And then finally, to him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Not just church, but to the churches. And so I think we're to understand, we get to overhear what's going on with the Ephesian church, with the church at Smyrna, the church at Pergamum, the church at Thyatira, the church at Sardis, the church at Philadelphia, the church at Laodicea. We, the reader, eavesdrop on seven conversations, as it were, between Christ and his followers. We do well to take notes and, and apply to our, our, our own lives. And so what's helpful about these two chapters, again, I, I encourage you to read Peterson, chapter 4. What's helpful here is we see kind of in, you, you, could, you could dive into the macro details and I'm going to unpack a couple details. Who are the Nicolaitans, etc. I'm going to try to unpack some of the details of some of the letters here uh, next couple days. But in general, kind of taken as a whole, we see that churches are identified by their relationship to Jesus Christ. This is not how the world looks at the church. 
we, we could say, oh, isn't that the big church that has the rock band? Isn't that the, the, the church at the center of downtown? Oh, isn't that the church where such and such happened? Oh, isn't that the rich person's church? Oh, isn't that the storefront church? We identify churches by external realities or by worldly realities. That's where all the rich people go. That's the downtown church. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, that's, the, that's that Holy Roller church. You know, so we, we look at that church and we, so what, you know, people say something about Greenwich. I don't know what, you know, if you're new to Greenwich, you probably heard something about it. Oh, that's that friendly church. Maybe it was something like that, right? But we describe churches sociologically in terms of economics, demographics, um, the worship style, et cetera, the building, the architecture. We've got a number of ways of identifying a church. Oh, that's that liberal church. Oh, that's that conservative church. That's that fundamentalist church. You know, no, the church is identified by its relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I think that's important. There is where you have Christ amongst the lampstands, there you have the church. Where two or three gather in his name, there you have the church. But it's the gathering in the name of Jesus Christ. And so I think it's helpful to understand that. Peterson makes much about this, this part right here. These three, affirmation, correction, uh, and promise. He, he talks about churches as being places for spiritual direction. And we don't do spiritual direction in isolation. Spiritual direction sounds too fancy. These are discipleship gatherings. They're discipleship centers. They're places where we become whole. Yes, we become holy, but we become whole. The pieces of our lives get mended. The pieces of our lives get put back together. We get put back together. Through the act of listening, he makes much about him who has ears to hear. He says, the ear, there's no ear lids, right? God intended for our ears to be open. The, the ear is the organ of faith. As we hear the word and take it in, we are transformed. And so, our Lord affirms us. He encourages us. There's, there's, there's good going on, but, but we need to work on some things. And, and then the encouragement, the motivation, as you press on, there's a reward. There, there, there's a blessing. There's a goodness that happens. And so this affirmation, correction, promise motif, Eugene Peterson in his chapter really leans into that. And, and so I think I'll close here with, with a question. For you to think about overnight or till the next time you, if you binge listen or binge watch, you know, the next episode, how are you growing? How are you growing at church? Again, I, I suspect most of you are listening from Greenwich, but, but I know there are some who listen from other churches. How are you growing in community? How are you connecting to the reality that is your particular church, its ministries, its mission. How, are you praying for the ministry and mission of your church, of Grant? Are you praying for your pastor or pastors, for Eric and myself? Are you praying for the leaders? Are you showing up to church on Sunday mornings and participating in the course of the week and over the course of months and a year and years? Are you 
listening? Are you finding yourselves challenged and, and corrected? Are, are you finding yourselves encouraged and, and strengthened for your journey? How are you finding these realities? So let me leave you with that set of questions, kind of the spiritual direction or discipleship questions. And um, we'll, we'll close here in prayer and then pick up again tomorrow, okay? Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your church and its many, many, many expressions that have nurtured each of us. There's probably not a one of us that has only been in one particular church. We have all moved about. And we thank you for the uniqueness of each local church. And for this local church we call Greenwich and the local churches that, that others may be participating in. And we thank you for our sister churches in our community right around Greenwich. Lord, strengthen the church. Strengthen us. Give us ears to hear. And so speak to us from these words of Scripture and how we thank you for these seven letters written to the seven churches so long ago that continue to speak with fresh power. Hear our prayer as we make it now in the name of our majestic Lord Christ who taught us to pray together saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May God bless you through whatever church you participate in with words of grace and challenge and strength and hope and comfort. And may God bless you with relationships in the church and beyond the church. And may God grow in you a Christ-like character this day and forevermore. Amen.